Jesus, we thank you that your love is amazing and we come just as we are to you. That we don't have to get our act together. We don't have to figure everything out. We don't have to be perfect or even excellent. We can come to you as we are. And your love reaches down and will transform our lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would impress that on each and every heart today. We've come in with many, many different thoughts and a lot of things going on in our lives, a lot of distractions. We thank you that we can focus this time on you, Jesus, your amazing love. And I pray, God, that as we have sung about you and worshiped you and praised you, that your presence here, the fact that, Jesus, you are here in this house, will transform our lives, that we would be changed, that we would see you in a new way, in a way we haven't seen you before, and that we would be different. And I pray now that you'll take the living word of God. These are the words of God himself, and I pray that we'll be faithful to them, that nothing in me will get in the way of what you want to say to us today through your message, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today we're going to look at a story, a classic story in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of stories of how God takes nothing, or almost nothing, a nobody, or almost nobody, how God can take a less and make more. This story is found in the book of Judges, and those of you who have read the book of Judges know that the book is an account of a, a series of cycles within the nation of Israel. It's like they start out really good, serving God, living righteously, then because things are going great, they forget God, and they begin to live in sin and serve other gods. And the results of this is God sends judgment to their lives and Israel's enslaved. When they have this enslavement, these hard times, and they cry out to God and say, help. And then God raises up a leader and then he delivers them. And if you read through the book of Judges, you see this cycle over and over and over again. Love and serve God, everything goes well. We forget God, get in trouble, cry for help. He raises up help and so on. For Israel, it was about a 20 to 40 year cycle. Take about 20 years or 40 years to 40 years to go through the cycle. For us today, well, we can go through this entire cycle probably in about a week or even a day where all of a sudden we forget God, then we realize we need him and we cry out and he helps us, happens. Well, Israel forgot God again. Again, so God gave them over to a, a group of people called the Midianites and they were being oppressed. And I want us to join the story and break into the cycle and see what we experience as well and see what we can learn from this story. How God can take less and make more. Less is more. It's the story of a guy named Gideon. And I'd like you to turn with me to Judges. The book of Judges, it's on page 194. If you want to read a in the Bible, in the rack in front of you, or it'll be up on the, on the screen as well. Judges, we're going to read Judges 6, 1 through 16, as we look at both these chapters today. 
Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. When we enter this story in the cycle, we find them experiencing, this, this nation experiencing something we all experience, and that's adversity, adversity. We all experience adversity, and sometimes we bring adversity on ourselves by poor choices or, or sinful behavior. At other times, we are seemingly innocent of doing anything wrong, and we still experience adversity. Here, the nation of Israel was experiencing adversity of their own making, their own making. See, Israel was what was called a covenant people. Israel, the nation of Israel, had entered into a contract with God, a covenant. Uh, when we read the previous parts of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, we discover, especially clearly in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, that the nation had entered a sacred agreement with God, a covenant. A covenant was a contract that stated they would, if they would obey and worship the one true God, and in exchange for that, God would protect them and bless them as a nation. And Israel broke their part of the agreement. And as God warned and promised in the covenant, he sent judgment. Now, there were, the purpose of judgment was twofold. The, the first purpose was to punish them, okay? They deserve to be punished. But more importantly than punishment, number two, it was, it was to restore them in relationship with God. See, God was forever bringing things into the life of his people to bring them back into relationship. People, the people of God always wandered. They always went off and did their own thing. They forgot God when things were great. And he always allowed things to come into the lives to restore relationship. That was the purpose, to bring them back. And there was a lot of, at stake in the nation of Israel. Some of us wonder, what, what's the big deal about the nation of Israel? Well, it's a lot more important than, say, countries like Norway or Brazil or England or Italy. It, it, was, 
if, if Israel turned away from God, if, if Israel had lost their identity, then the Messiah, Jesus, could not have come. And yes, then we could not have been saved. God's salvation for all people of history was dependent on this tiny nation, Israel, this less that was going to become more, this less is more group of people. So we start this, this passage, we insert ourselves into the story with, with adversary, adversity, an impossible situation, overpowering opposition, and leaderless. So what does God do? What does God do? He picks a leader. He picks a leader. Now, if you've ever felt totally inadequate or overwhelmed by the task before you, I think you can identify with Gideon. Okay. And he says, what, me? Why would you pick me? You've got to be kidding. I, I'm the wrong person for the job. Why does God do that? You know, you, you wonder, why, why did God pick him? Why does he do that to us as well? Let's, let's look at this, number two. Let's look at this unlikely leader. Gideon was not a natural-born leader. If he was, he would have been leading by now. And he wasn't. He wasn't leading. What was Gideon like? Well, first of all, he was hiding. He was hiding. Gideon was threshing wheat in a, in a wine press. In a wine press. Now, if you've ever seen movies filmed in Italy during the grape harvest and wine producing season, you may be able to picture a wine press. A wine press was a big container or carved area of rock where the grapes are placed. Here's a picture of one of those. The grapes are placed in them, and according to tradition, people would go in bare feet, and, and they would, of course, stomp down the grapes until the juice was, there's another one, just like that. And then once the juice was out, then they could collect the juice and for it, uh, turned it into wine. Now, nowadays, I don't think they use bare feet. I think they use other types of things. But uh, wine press, Gideon was in the wine press, and wine presses sometimes had walls of three to four feet high. So Gideon was using the wine press to thresh wheat so the Midianites wouldn't see him to steal his wheat. And he was hiding. He, they wanted to find him. Now, if you want to be a leader, hiding is not a good character quality. Just so you know. If you want to be a leader, it's not hiding. No, you don't want to hide. Many of us hide. Some, many of us hide. Now, maybe not physically necessarily, but we hide our hurt behind a sense of humor. Or we hide our inferior feelings behind academic excellence or achievement. We hide our inadequacies behind material success. We hide our sense of sinfulness under a veneer of spirituality. We hide it. It's like a less that's waiting to be made into a more, but we hide. And the first thing God has to do is catch us hiding so that he can expose it and so we know we're hiding. Sometimes we don't like to admit it. Secondly, not only was Gideon hiding, which is the antithesis of a leader, he was inadequate, quite honestly. He was inadequate. He readily admitted to the angel of the Lord he was inadequate. He said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. I think Gideon must have been the baby in the family. Must have been the baby in the family. How many youngest do we have here? Got a few? Okay. Oh, good. My hand's up, too. I was, I was the baby in the family. I used to get, you know the feeling. It's like, you know, my mom introduces me. This is our baby. I said, Mom, I'm 21. Come on now happens. Inadequate. And, and he felt like a less waiting to become more. Gideon not only was inadequate, he was also faithless. I mean, this guy just had, he didn't have anything going for him. He was faithless. He said, where are all his wonders? God has abandoned us. 
I don't see God anywhere. Where could God be? And I don't know if you've ever said that. You look at your life, you look at circumstances, you say, where is God in all of this? That's what he said. Then Gideon was fearful, fearful, afraid. Judy and I have friends who have two cats, two cats. One cat is friendly, engaging, and outgoing. It'll, it'll jump on your lap. It'll approach uninvited. It's more like a dog than a cat, but it's, it's a cat, okay? The other cat, I've never seen. I've wondered if it's an imaginary cat, actually. Our friends tell me that it is so fearful that it will stay hidden under the bed almost all the time, and especially if they have company. Why? Nobody knows, but fear, fear. Now, we don't know why that cat is fearful, but most of us can diagnose why we're fearful. What are we afraid of? And Gideon had good reason for fear. The circumstances he was in, he was helpless. A lot of fears. But you know, this isn't about Gideon's faithlessness. It's not about Gideon's inadequacies or Gideon's hiding or his fears. This story is really a story about God, how God can take less and make more. He can take the hiding, inadequate, faithless, fearful, and do more. Let's look at God's transformation of the man. Let's look at God's transformation, number three. On a principal level, this transformation can happen to a man or woman, boy or girl, person of any gender, race, age, nationality, or hair color. God is in the business of transforming lives. This particular instance, it was a man named Gideon. How does God change and turn less into more? First of all, he was called of God. He was called of God. In, in verse 12, we find that God spoke to him. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 14, the Lord said, Go in strength and you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And 16, I will be with you. Everything you'll notice Gideon didn't, didn't initiate anything. Everything was initiated by God. God called him. Leaders don't lead because they get up one day and say, I'm a leader. I'm going to be a leader. Our culture will tell us that leaders are born, not made. But God says leaders are called, and I do the calling. I call leaders. God chose Gideon. And he called Gideon, a less than leader-like leader, to lead. Why? We'll find out. God's transformation begins with a call. Him speaking in a still small voice to you. It may be an audible voice. It may be a still small voice through someone else, whatever it is. God calls. Second, Gideon was tested by God. It's an interesting, interesting scenario in verse 25 to 27. God gives him a job. He gives him a job to test him. And he said, the Lord said to him, take the second bull, verse 25, from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down and offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Now, 
this was a this was a big deal because the the altar and the asherah the asherah pole had some, was a wooden representation of a female deity. It was considered sacred. This idol was considered sacred. You don't touch this stuff. And God said, I want you to tear it down. Take, cut up the wooden deity and burn a, make an altar and burn something on it, burn the, burn the offering. I mean, this was a big deal. And Gideon, true to form, he knew it was a big deal, so he's afraid. So he did it at night, of course. Of course he did it at night. And the townspeople were so angry, they wanted, they, they wanted to kill him. So we're going to kill you because of that. Of course, interestingly, his father intervened. Gideon's father intervenes and he says in verse 31, if Baal is really God, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. <laughs> That's good. That's true. So Gideon had a reprieve. But he needed to be tested whether or not he would obey God when God asked him to do something radical. Which brings us to this inadequate, faithless, fearful man actually obeyed God. He was obedient to God, let her see. Obedience to God has transformational power. When we obey God, we align ourselves with the most powerful force in the universe. When we obey God, we align ourselves with the most powerful force in the universe. We can either fight against him, we can go against him, or we can go with him. Obedience to God will change and empower and transform your life. Has God called you to be something? Has God called you to do something? And maybe you feel like Gideon. Well, sometimes God just wants us to obey so he can take our less and make more. And finally, we get to the transformation of full measure. It says in 634, the spirit of the Lord came on him. Says in verse 34, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew a trumpet and summoned the Abiezrites to follow him. It was obvious to Gideon that he did not have the ability to lead or to deliver Israel. He objected so many times. He said, I can't, I can't, I can't. And God had to put him through this process. And if you read the whole story, the fleeces and all kinds of things that he put out there, he had to have proof. He didn't have the ability. But here is an instance in the Old Testament, one of many instances in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God comes on an individual at a specific time for a specific purpose. And we just finished the book of Acts and we talked about how in the Old Testament it was different. The, the Holy Spirit came on only into certain individuals for certain purposes at specific times. This was one of them. When it talks about the Holy Spirit coming on David or Saul or Samson or in this place, Gideon, to empower them. Of course, in the New Testament, as we've seen, as we studied through the book of Acts, everything changed. This Holy Spirit, this Spirit of the living, this is the Spirit of the living God that came on Gideon. The Spirit of God, it says in Acts 2, this is what was spoken the prophet by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Filled with the Holy Spirit. We don't understand sometimes the power that God has available for every person who believes in Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. How does God take less and make more? He fills us with the Holy Spirit. 
As we studied the book of Acts, we found that God has chosen to infuse, to fill, to empower human beings. We are the instrument of change through which God works. It's humbling, it's scary, but it's absolutely exciting when you think about it. God wants to use you. He wants to pour his Holy Spirit, fill you with God himself. We don't become gods. We become the recipients of the power of God to be used for his purposes. We are the instrument of change. It happened in Judges here. It happened in the book of Acts. And it happens today as we are the continuation of the church in Acts. What was the difference between Gideon the fearful and Gideon the brave? The filling of the Holy Spirit. What was the difference between Gideon the faithless and in hiding and Gideon full of faith? The filling of the Holy Spirit. What is the difference between Damien the fearful and Damien the brave? The filling of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference between Chris the fearful and Chris the brave? The filling of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference between Karen the fearful, and care in the brave. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. You can fill in the blank. Put your name in there. The difference between you fearful and brave, it's the filling of the Holy Spirit. The final result of this transformation of Gideon, because of being filled with the Holy Spirit, says he was filled with faith. Filled with faith. We read in Hebrews 11, 32 through 34, the writer says, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. That's about faith. That's the faith chapter, the heroes of the faith. Gideon is listed there. This less that became more, this fearful guy that was hiding, that God turned into a leader because he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the rest of the story. Every leader needs someone to follow them. Every leader needs someone to follow them. If someone thinks they're leading but no one's following, they're just taking a walk. So we need followers, followers, the transformation of a leader moves to God's transformation of the people. God's transformation of the people. Let's see how God takes this less is more leader and takes a less is more people to win a less is more victory. We find that the people move from carnal, carnal to spiritual. Carnal to spiritual. I don't, I don't like to categorize people. It's hard to do so in a non-discriminatory language. But some of, the, some of the men in Gideon's army were carnal. They were not spiritual. By carnal, I mean they were fleshly. They saw everything in the physical. They didn't see the spiritual realm. They didn't know the spiritual ramifications. They didn't see spiritually. Gideon had 32,000 men. Sounds like a great army. 32,000. Awesome. If we just have enough men, if we just have enough people, if we have the right armor, if we have enough, win, enough weapons, we can win. And God says, you have too many men. 
What? How can you ever have too many of anything? Too many. God says you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. You have too many, too many people. He says, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Carnal, not spiritual. Looking at our resources, not at God's resources. Look at relying on our own strength, not on God's. Relying on our financial means, our reserves, and not God. Israel had been, re been relying on their own strength for a long time, and they got in trouble. The church in America has been relying on herself for a long time. A lot of carnality, a lot of looking at what we have. Build the right buildings, get, get a good marketing plan, raise the money, get a strategic plan for growth. We can do this. No, we cannot. The ground under us has shifted so dramatically that the church in America today is in danger of becoming totally irrelevant. The changes are so amazingly different. What's happening in our country today? The church is always one generation away from extinction. One generation away from extinction. We talked last, week, last Sunday about passing the baton. We are the recipients of this baton to run the race. One generation away. What's happened to the church? We're relying on our own power. We have too many. We have carnal. We have not spiritual. We're looking at programs and facilities and budgets and advertising. You have too many. You have too much for me to deliver you. The people need transformation from carnal to spiritual. They also need to be moved from fear to faith. In 7.3, God tells, tell the people, anyone who trembles and fears may go home. Another version says, those who are full of fear and trembling. So evidently some people were kind of shaken too. Fear and trembling. Looking at their own resources and power, they were afraid. They said, I can't do this. And two-thirds of the army goes home. God, are you crazy? No, less is more. If an army is two-thirds full of fear, how strong is it? If an army is two-thirds full of fear, how strong is it? It's pretty difficult to keep the morale of 32,000 men up when 22,000 of them are speaking defeat. God knows the devastating impact of fear, negative thinking and negative speaking. Now, I don't believe everything that the positive confession group believes, but one thing I can tell you, negative confession will defeat you every time. Speaking negative. Fear is the exact opposite of faith. God cannot win when two-thirds of his people have no faith. Thinking negative, speaking negative. Numbers were not the problem. Fear was, because fear is the exact opposite of faith. Even Jesus, the Son of God, God Almighty, could not do many miraculous deeds in his hometown of Nazareth. Why? Because of their unbelief. Unbelief. The church today is full of unbelief. Not unbelievers, we're full of unbelief. We don't believe that God can do what he said he would do. We're not certain that his Holy Spirit can actually do something in our lives and transform and actually change our lives and change those lives around us. Unbelief. Transformation. We need transformation. Then they were tested and selected. Let her see. God needed still to weed some out. Verse 4, God said, there are still too many men. 
And then God separated them out. Now, now there's 300 men. Go from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. Less is more. So what happened? Many of you know the story before I read it. Chapter 7, verse 16. It says, dividing the 300 men into three companies and placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them. There were torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just as they changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets, smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled toward Bethsheda, towards Azera, as far as the border of Abel-Mehoiah near Tabath. While they held their position, I love that statement. They held their position. Stand still and let God The three character qualities in this victory. The first one is faith. Faith. These men saw spiritually. These men looked to God. They knew winning was impossible in their own strength. They knew only God could bring the victory. Only God could make them win. Less is more. The second one is obedience. They obeyed God. They obeyed God's leader, Gideon. Did exactly as God told them. Less is more. And the third character quality was unity. Unity. They were unified, 300 men acting in one accord, one action in unison, one leader, one common enemy, one common goal under one God. Unity. Unity. We talked about that a lot last fall. We talked about being united as a church. We went through the book in our connect groups. Unity. Less is more leader, a less is more people, and a less is more victory. Where are you today in your journey? Where are you today? God wants to take you wherever you are today. Wherever you are today. A less, you're called of God, he may test you, but he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit and transform your life and do more than you can ever imagine. Because with God, less is more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God of the universe and, and you've given us an example of a, of a guy who had a lot of fear, didn't know which way to go. But I know that no matter where we are, you can do incredible things. And I pray that we would be able to give our lives to you, whatever inadequacies, whatever fears, whatever trepidation, whatever we have, our brokenness, whatever it is that we have, I pray that we will be able to give that to you and say, God, you want to use me. 
You want to do great things. You want to take my less and make more. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would build our faith today, knowing that you will take our less and do more. Let's stand, shall we? We'll be dismissed in just a minute. I'm going to ask if uh, Becky and Chris would be just available to pray up here and Vern and Nancy over here. If you have a question or you want prayer before um, you leave today, any whatever it is, you have a less that you want God to make a more or whatever it is. Can't, it can be any number of things. But if you have a questions you want to pray, have be prayed for, uh, don't leave carrying that with you, okay? We want you to know we care and we want to pray for you this morning. So now may the love of God the Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power and fellowship of the Holy Spirit of God be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.